down. I know you have. I know you've done this. I've done this. Driven down either I-40 going east or west, or I think there is one on 75 as well. And you've seen those signs about the lottery. I started to say lotto. I don't, I'm, just, I'm not sure what it says. I'm so spiritual, I don't even really know what that is. But, you know, you see those signs, and it tells what the current amount is. Does anybody know what it is right now? I don't. I really don't know. I'm not trying to set you up. And you're scared to say because you're thinking, no, we, I'm praying as I drive. I wouldn't even see something like that. But it's always these huge, you know, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And it, it sets your imagination in motion, doesn't it? I mean, and that's what it's designed for. When you see a sign up there that says $30 million, $50 million, and you think, okay, the government gets 40% of that, so I get to keep a lot of money. And have you ever ridden along and begin to figure out what you do with it? You do. Don't act spiritual to me. I know you do. And you're thinking, okay, I would invest this much, and I'd get this much back, and with the other, I'd buy this, and I'd do that. And you start figuring it out. What would it feel like to be just incredibly wealthy like that? How would you live your life after the lottery? Surprisingly, most people who experience that don't do so well. You come back and visit them two or three years later, and they're broke again. And the same thing is true often if you inherit a lot of money or maybe one of your stocks just goes wild, you know, beyond your you know, biggest dream you ever had, and, and you find yourself wealthy. What are you going to do with that? How are you going to live your life after you're a winner? Or where in your a place where you think, Man, this is it. That's If I could just get to that, then I'm good. It's going to be amazing. It's not always what you think it would be. The fact that you're just living and breathing and thinking and walking and laughing and singing and working and creating and, and, and doing all of those things in the freedom that we have and that we're about to celebrate, the prosperity of being in one of the most, maybe the most, blessed nation that has ever existed in the history of the world. You probably don't get it because our perspective is a little skewed. You know, it, it's kind of off. But you're already rich. I told you last week that, you know, if you go into the... Um, the site that kind of tells you where you are economically compared to the rest of the world, and you put in your salary, every one of us in this room, we're way past the 90 percentile. Most of you are like in the top one or two, three percent of wealthy people in the world. We just don't get that because we compare ourselves to somebody who's just got a little more. But you're already rich. You are. And we already have access to so many things that we don't even think about. You know, just being in a church building like this, we're, we're always finding things, you know, stuff that needs to be repaired and fixed up and what we wish we had and what we could do if we had, you know, something else or could afford whatever. But we're so wealthy. I'm just thankful today for air conditioning. Just that one little thing makes a big difference, doesn't it? God has blessed us beyond measure. What will you do with your winnings? What will you do with your inheritance, with your wealth? I want to think about that this morning, and I want us to consider this question. 
How are you going to live this one and only extravagant, beautiful life that God has given you? It's not a dress rehearsal. There's no do-overs. This is it. You will not pass this way again. We have this one life. So if you're 65 or if you're 90, it's not too late to answer that question. If you're 14 or you're 22, it's not too early to think about how am I going to live this one and only beautiful life that God has given me. Jesus gives us a very succinct, uh, precise, clear answer on how to best live this life. And it's not going to feel like it's the right answer. And when I say it, it's, it seems a little counterintuitive. You think, eh, that doesn't, I just don't know if that's the, the way. But it is the way. Jesus says that instead of living a life where you're always being served, you're always being given to, to live a life of service. To live a life of giving to other people. That's the life. That's the life. And it puts you, when you do that, and you say, okay, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I've tried my way, and that doesn't seem to be working out like I thought it would, so I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. When you do that, you are putting yourself in this perfect position for God to flow not only into your life, but to overflow through your life into the life of other people. And that stretches out into eternity. And that's the point of the story I want to read with you today. It's in Mark chapter 10. And it's this kind of an unusual moment, an awkward moment in the life and the ministry of Jesus and the friends around him. Uh, and just how they responded. You think they're getting pretty mature because they're hanging out with Jesus all the time. And this, this, um, this incident sort of exposes where they where they really are in their maturity. So let's read together. I'm going to start in the uh, 32nd verse in Mark chapter 10.
Jerusalem. They're, they're, on, they're on the road with Jesus leading the way. He's just walking fast. He's ahead of them. Uh, he's on a mission. He's very purposeful. He knows exactly where he's going and what he's going to do when, when he gets there. And he calls these guys out to be servants. And he's coming to this place where he's teaching them the last and some of the most important things that he's ever going to share with them. And he says, be a servant. I think that's as misunderstood for them as it is for us. You know, we, we picture that, and we've got these ideas about what that means. It doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to be a servant, so I guess I'm just going to let everybody walk over me. I'm just going to say, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll just do whatever you want to do, and we'll go wherever you want to go. And we, we kind of have that idea of just being overly compliant and saying, well, I'm just, I'm just a servant. And Jesus is modeling servant leadership here. He has this clear sense of mission within that context. And if you're leading anything, if it's a community group, uh, if it's a Bible study or a business, a corporation, a family, uh, a specific ministry, and you don't have a clear sense of mission, then people are going to distract you. They're going to exploit that. They're going to take advantage of you. And you're going to pull that off, uh, you know, the purpose and where it's headed. So being a servant doesn't mean living without mission and not living without purpose. Jesus is leading the way. And he pulls aside these closest friends of his and he tells them, we're going up to Jerusalem. You know, this is hard for him to say. He said, when we get there, the Son of Man, and that's his favorite title for himself, he referred to himself like that often, I'll be betrayed and condemned to death. I'm going to be mocked and then killed. How do you respond? How, what, are they, what is their reaction? Wow, we're, did he just say? I mean, they're listening to this, and it's not a pretty picture. It's not what they thought it would be or hoped it would be and dreamed about. And I want you to notice the violent words in this passage. Betray, condemn to hand over, to mock, to spit, to flog, to kill. Jesus is being about as clear and as upfront uh, as he can about all the things that are going to happen to him. And these things are going to happen soon. And he says, okay, here's where this is headed, and I want you guys with me. I want to invite you to be a part of this. It's going to be bigger than that. It's going to go beyond that, but that's the way it goes, and that's where we're headed. Will you go with me? And you wonder what they're thinking. Wow, this is... Because we were thinking the whole Messiah thing was going to be different and that you were going to overcome the Romans and we're going to get our country back. And we didn't count on the suffering. Maybe you should do that part because you kind of got an idea where you want to go with that and you kind of understand. So we're going to be over here and you you take that and, you know... It, not exactly the part we were going to play. We, maybe you should do that by yourself. And he will end up doing it pretty much by himself. But Jesus is so perfectly clear. He says, if you want to share in the glory, you want to be a part of the victory and the triumph and all this that you guys have been envisioning for so long and dreaming about and talking about every time we stop at a campfire and, you know, or we get in a room together, you, oh, you know what it's going to be like one day? You've got that part. But if you want to get there, you got to share in the suffering, too. There's no other way. 
This is the third time that Jesus has told his disciples, and he's been explicit about it, got to go to Jerusalem, I've got to suffer, and I've got to die. But for some reason, his followers don't seem to be getting it. Maybe they don't want to get it. You ever hear bad news, or, and, and you kind of, maybe you candy coat it, or you divert, you think, well, yeah, I, I kind of understand, but we won't think about it. It may not be like that. They just, they don't want to face up to it. They, they don't want to hear about this impending death. So Jesus talks about this, and, he's, and he's, he just puts it out there. And after this third attempt, uh, James and John, who are two of his closest friends, two of his best disciples, they pull him aside. And Jesus just said this. It's like if you were to tell somebody, well, I just found out, you know, I've got heart disease and I've only got this much. I've got cancer and I've only got this long to live. I've got this, this serious, strange, rare illness. And the doctor said, I've, I've only got about a month. Hey, that's too bad. But do you want to know, you know, what you could do for me? Could, could they just ask this question right in the midst of that kind of a context? Uh, and uh, will you just do whatever we ask? Will you just do anything we tell you to do? Will you do it? Will you do it? You ever had your kids come up? I'm going to ask you something. Will you say yes? <laughs> I don't know. What's the question? Just go ahead. Just say yes. I'm just going to ask you. Just say yes. You know, and you th- that's the you know that's kind of where they put Jesus. And Jesus says, "What is it you want?" Well, we would like a blank check. Will you just mind signing your name right here? And Jesus says, what is it specifically that you want me to do for you? And you can just imagine James and John, they kind of look at each other and go, well, um, we were thinking, we were just talking, and he brought it up. No, it's your idea. Well, here's what we're thinking, what we would like. Um, we've been with you three years, and uh, we've heard for you declare for the third time that you're going to be betrayed, tortured, and murdered. But if we could just set that to the side for a minute, <laughs> here's what we've got on our minds. Uh, when your kingdom party really gets started, okay, when that gets cranked up, can we get front row seats? Can we have the best seats in the house? I mean, we would really like to be a part of that. Could we maybe sit right up there by you? Wouldn't that be awesome? And it would be like, Jesus, James and John, that's the way we're seeing this unfold. Can you believe that? I mean, we just feel how inappropriate that was, especially at that moment, don't we? I don't know why they didn't get that. It's so rude, so insensitive and dense. I mean, how thoughtless. I've said thoughtless things. I've said things, you know, you just you think, oh, I, did I just say that or did I just think that? Oh, I just said that. Uh, every guy in here, especially, has done that, probably that same thing. But they say this. And it's not only just super inconsiderate to Jesus, and I, I just, I, I can't feel this moment when he looks at them like, really? Seriously? I just told you I'm about to be killed? Hey, that's too bad. But could we, when, when this is really good, can we sit with you? Can we be beside? It's not only just inconsiderate to him. Can you imagine how it made the other disciples feel? I mean, this is so mean to them. They see this kind of like a reality show. And they just voted the other ten disciples off the island. You know, they're like, this is, sorry about you guys. They didn't get it. Being a servant and allowing God to flow in and through our lives 
even though it sounds counterintuitive, it, it doesn't sound like that would make sense. It is the best way. It's the best way for us to spend our lives. It's not easy. It goes against the grain of maybe your personality, goes against the grain of our souls, and it absolutely certainly goes against the grain of our culture. And that's why Jesus said, you know, there are those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, and they boss everybody, and they kind of act like, you know, that they're the lords over everybody, and they're high officials, exercise authority, and they kind of enjoy that swagger that comes with the role. And they did that. In fact, every time anybody, a Gentile, would pick up a, a, one of those copper coins, they could see the inscription of the reigning emperor, uh, Augustus, and then later Tiberius, on that coin. And then they had inscribed on every one of those, he who deserves adoration. And can you imagine that? Okay, you're the emperor now. What would you like on your coin? Well, I want you to put my picture on it. And then I'd like for you to write, he who deserves adoration. That sounds good. Put that, put that. that just, I mean, isn't that just arrogant? You just feel like, really, the ego that these guys brought to their leadership roles. Listen, every time that you or I reject a lifestyle of servanthood, we're being just as arrogant as they were. That's why Jesus, this surprising reaction, he just radically rejects the path that leads to power and glory. He says, this is the way they do it, not so among you. Guys, this is not our approach. It's not the way we're going to do this. I've been trying to teach you we're different, and we're going to do this different. I'm calling you out. And you got to trust me. Paul sums it up in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, and he puts it. I know the people who first heard that thought, wow, that's not real appealing. They understood sacrifice. I, didn't, I thought we were going to be kings and princes and queens and princesses. Uh, sacrifices? We're not sure that's what we wanted to sign up for. That's exactly what we've signed up for. Unfortunately, this drive that's in us, this thing in you, this thing in me that, that wants power, that wants glory is inside all of our hearts. Notice that James and John's this unbelievably callous, this self-serving attitude that, are, that arises, uh, it comes up as they're talking to Jesus. I mean, to me, it would be something you would kind of say behind his back. You wouldn't go up to Jesus and go, hey, when you're the king, can we be your guys beside you on each side? Wouldn't that look good? Maybe we'll get coins too. I mean, they say that to him. 
You ever say things to your boss or you'd say things more behind their back or your parents or whoever's in authority? Think, well, you know what? If I was running the show, here's what I would do. If I were the pastor, this looks so, if I were the coach, I know what I would do, you know, and we would win this fall. And, you know, and we were all kind of experts, but we don't usually go up to the person and go, here's, unless you call into sports radio, you know, those guys, experts call in every day. Hi, this is Larry. Yeah, I'm out in Clinton, and I tell you what we ought to do, you know, and, and, and he knows. He's got it all figured out, you know, and he calls, and every day, if you listen, it's, I don't know, it's like the same guy. Uh, and if you're that guy, I'm so sorry, Larry. I don't know making fun of you. I'm sure you're very bright, and you do have some good ideas uh, about what we ought to do with the program and how that ought to go. But they say it to Jesus. They go right up to him and go, Jesus, and that kind of scares me because I know the Jesus talk. I can talk Jesus talk. I can use Jesus jargon. I went to a Christian college. I learned that. And we were Jesus juking people before anybody even knew how. I mean, we were always out spiritualizing. You know, hey, you want to go play tennis? No, I'm sorry. That comes during my quiet time. And you guys go ahead. I'll be at the orphanage or the hospital or the, the home serving others. You guys go have fun. God bless you. You know, and we... I can do that. You can do that. We've kind of trained each other in that. You know, and I can come to church. I can listen to the sermon. I can preach the sermon. Uh, and still, still in that moment, in his presence, in this room, be callous and self-serving, driven by ambitious or insecurity or a lust for power or recognition and not by a spirit of service. Isn't that scary? That you could do the right thing, but do it for the wrong reason. That you could serve. That, you know, you could be busy and active and helping. But it all burn up one day because it's just flesh. It's just motivated by, do you think anybody sees me doing this? I'm going to hang around another minute and make sure I get a little. How do I do that? How do I break that? How do I live? genuinely, with, with integrity and sincerity as a servant, when I don't always want to be a servant. Sometimes even when we're doing things for God and we want that recognition and we want that pat on the back and, and the power and the status that comes with it, how in the world do I go against the grain of my own flesh, this bent, this tendency, and this grain that goes against living right in the middle of a self-centered culture? I'm just surrounded. How do we do that? Well, there's good news, and it's from the Scripture. And it doesn't start with you getting up tomorrow morning and saying, I got that message at Dan, man, I'm going to try harder today. Today, I'm servant guy. I am, I am sister servant. I'm gonna, you, you're going to be amazed by tonight how much I've served everybody. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to act less selfish. I'm gonna, and, and, you know, and you try. And you've done that, right? You've done that before. And how, you know, it lasted maybe till breakfast, maybe till mid-morning. And then you, oh, I, I give up. I've already blown it. I can't, I can't do this. Because that's the power that we have in our flesh. Now, all of Scripture... It just unfolds, and, and the whole thing is, is really this, this beautiful, exciting, uh, powerful, amazing, this big story of how God came 
to serve us. How he came to set us free. He said, I'm going to serve you, and then I'm going to set you free. And then when you're set free, I want you to join the story. I want you to be like me. I want you to serve. I want you to be one of the characters in the movie. I want you to be a player in my story. And as I fill you with myself, as you abandon your flesh and you realize I'm a failure that's not going to work, just allow me to flow into you and through you until I overflow into the lives of the people around you. That's his model of what it is to be a servant. One verse in the, in, in the middle or the, toward the end of this passage is verse 45 in chapter 10. And Jesus says, feet and Peter said it will not that's not going to happen you're not no 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 we're not going to do that I'm not going to do that you're Jesus I'm not and you're not going to and Jesus says unless you let me do unless you let me serve you you can't be a part of this you can't have me here's here's the idea here's the good news and this is going to be big and it's going to give you something to think about the rest of the week and into the the week it is It is impossible to follow Jesus. It's impossible to be freed from our sin and our selfishness and to pour out our our lives. It's impossible to please God unless you let Jesus serve you first. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus serves us. We don't just need another religious leader. We've had those. We don't need more rules. We don't need more books to tell us how to live. What we need is someone to set us free from captivity, from the sin that we were born in, and to empower us to walk in real love, in real authenticity. So the Christian experience is taking Jesus seriously when he said, I came to serve you. And the Lord, I I accept that. I receive, especially and particularly, your service on the cross when you died for my sin because I can't do that. I can't do that. Jesus said, I'm I'm the only one. He put it this way in John 15, 5. He said, I'm the vine. And, And he just chose these.
trying to live a good life for God. It's me living and realizing, God, I can't do this. I can't live this life. Because I know that's your flesh. But if you abandon that life and you surrender it and you step out of that life and into Christ and allow me to live through you, now you get it. Now you feel and you see the, the sense of, of, of the power and the love and the authority that I'm meant for you to have all along. So when you become a Christian, you don't become God's helper. And I'm sorry, I know they told you that. Like in vacation Bible school or, you know, in your first grade uh, sunbeam class or whatever, whatever generation you're in. Uh, but, you know, God said, no, actually, I want to be your helper. Before Jesus left the earth, he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. And that word means helper, a parakletos. I'm going to send someone right alongside to help you. Will you let me help you? You see how we've got that backwards? And God says, I want to switch it back around. Because the life you're living is not working. And being a Christian requires deep humility. For me to say, God, I admit, I, I need help. I need you. I can't. I'm trying to do this and I can't do this. I need you to serve me. And I'm embarrassed. I'm humiliated to ask you. But you're all I've got. And, and it's something we're never going to grow out of. You will never stop depending on Jesus. You'll never stop, as we were singing just a moment ago, leaning on those everlasting arms and looking to the cross. When you, it's just like we'd stop breathing and our spiritual life begins to suffocate. It's all about Him. How does He do that? How does He, how does he serve in us? Well, in verse 45, it says, Jesus came to give His life as a ransom uh, for many. Actually, is so enthusiastic about that word. I wanted to name one of my children Ransom. I thought that was the coolest name, Ransom. Doesn't that sound Ransom Riley? Sounds like a rock star, doesn't it? Ransom Riley. And Kathy said no. Which was probably wise in the long run. That's why Jesus came, was to ransom us. On the cross, Jesus serves us by paying our ransom. He was like, I got that. I've got that. To be ransomed means to be released or delivered or to be set free. For someone to pay your bail, for someone to get you out. That's what it means. When someone wanted to set a slave free, they would pay the price of redemption. And the slave would become a free man. So he uses that picture and he says, that's just so beautiful. That's exactly what I'm doing for you. Because you're enslaved, you're in bondage to sin and to your flesh. And I'm just going to release you from that through the cross. So the idea of Jesus ransoming us leads us to this central truth that apart from him, apart from Christ, we're just hostages. We're just being held hostage. Every day of your life, you're, you're living as a slave. It's this power of sin. And we wind up in addictions and pettiness and disappointment and poutiness and demandingness, which is a new word. And selfishness. We're just we're enslaved to our past. You can't ever get over things. We're dead, the Bible says. It says it again and again. We're dead in our sins. You're just dead. It's not a pretty picture. But God comes to us in Jesus. It's this rescue operation. And Jesus comes and he breaks the bonds of sin and he sets us free from this, this power and this penalty of our old sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And when he did, he broke the old way. And he offered us freedom. 
freedom to pursue intimacy with God. Freedom to pursue wholeness and holiness. And the life that you dreamed for or just hoped and imagined maybe that that's even possible. It is through Jesus, through Christ. I was reading a story um, recently about some prisoners, American soldiers during the Second World War who were being held in a prison camp. Uh, and They had been hostages uh, without hope. Uh, they were mistreated and it was cruel. And uh, every day some of their buddies died or just lost heart and gave up. Some committed suicide. No one was coming to rescue them. And one day one of the men stepped out and he noticed that nobody was there. And it kind of scared him. He looked, there were no guards. There didn't seem to be any movement. And then they heard uh, through a smuggled-in shortwave radio that they had heard that the Allied forces had broken through and that for all practical purposes, the war was over. So the bad guys were getting out of Dodge. You know, they were all just disappearing because the soldiers had a deliverer, and they were free. And they knew that any day now, uh, that they're going to see people show up and, and, and set them free. They were assured of that. Freedom had already started. It's already started. And, and I, I say this as, as a fellow follower of Jesus. I know a lot of Christians who've been set free, but they still live like a hostage. Can you imagine on that day, uh, you know, when the, when the soldiers began to first realize we're free, The guards are gone. Everybody's gone. The allied forces are on their way. We're free. And maybe going into one of the rooms of somebody who hasn't heard and said, you know, we're free. Let's let's go. Come on. We're set free. No, I'm not going out there. I'm just going to stay here. I kind of like it in here. And this cell, I've gotten used to it. I feel safe here. I'm just going to stay here. But you're free. You see, you can be free and not live in that freedom and that liberty and never really understand God wants to set you free. He doesn't want you serving in, you know, in bondage. He doesn't want you volunteering for a ministry or giving and then going home going, it's so hard to be a Christian. So hard going to church and serving the Lord. I'm just doing my best. You know, I said, that's not at all why I set you free. That's not at all what this is about. If you'd let me serve you through the cross and set you free. Something beautiful that you maybe never even dreamed is going to happen in your life. And it begins with these small acts of service, as we allow him to fill us and we participate in this grand story that Jesus is writing where he sets people free from bondage. Now, the toughest part of that, the toughest part of being a servant and the toughest part of leadership attached to that is releasing our ego. That's going to be your biggest and first challenge because service is love, and before you can do that, you've got to release our big fat, all-consuming egos. It's not about your self-esteem. It's not about this demand that the world has to revolve around me, that I'm the center of things. My needs, my preferences, my wants, my preferences. You know, James and John and the rest of the disciples are so focused on their own personal agendas. I mean, even at a moment like this, how awkward was that? Hey, Jesus, uh, I know you've got something going on, and we're kind of st- you've told us three times, and we're sort of figuring that out, but what we were thinking and what I want and wh- you know, what, where I'm headed, Jesus says, can you do this? Oh, yeah, we can do it. We can do it as long as we get recognition, as long as we get something. And you know, 
Jesus says, don't you realize that my mission runs right through the cross and in no other way? And the mission isn't about your comfort. You really want to be with this. You really want to go with me. The other ten disciples, you know, we kind of feel sorry for them because James and John just threw them under the chariot. And, you know, and they catch wind of this conversation. And, you know, James and John are voting us off the island. Really? Uh, and they're indignant. Just, isn't that great? Yeah, they turned out to be really good friends. You know, I've noticed John lately. He's got such an ego. Yeah, and James, so insecure. I knew he would pull us something like this. You know, and, and, there, and there's this bad feeling that's going on but in the 12, and it creates this, this terrible atmosphere. Jesus brings healing, and he changes the conversation. And he steps into it. It may be one of the first interventions we ever see where Jesus goes, whoa, everybody stop. Uh, take a breath, everybody sit down. Here's the direction we're going to take this. This is not about you. This is not about glory and power in the ways that you have understood that and how that's been you know, modeled for you before. Freedom comes through service. And I want you guys to get that. I want you to learn to serve. And service comes by releasing your egos and your agendas and your fragile self-esteems. Dan Riley said once that the main problem in the church them to encourage them and challenge them and teach them and then to send us out it's not for us to stay here it's not for us to sit here it's this amazing plan and it's so utterly subversive it says i, I, I want to use you whether you're a student or a mechanic an electrical engineer a plumber a doctor a musician uh, we're all spies we're all here with a different agenda that's, that's to the side of that. Whether you're a nurse or a carpenter, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you are in your vocation. God says that's there for your income. That's the context that you're living your life. But within that, there is another story. 
And your life becomes, your life, my life, just our ordinary lives become this place for God to overflow no matter what our occupation is. Where do you see a need? You know, we began our worship service with a video and one of our high school students, uh, Bailey, had this idea within the context of one of our ministries, she noticed a need. And, and one, of the, one of these girls in the inner city just mentioned, well, you know, I used, this used to be my favorite dress, and it's not, it's not anymore because I have to wear it all the time because I don't have any other dresses, and so I just wear the same one over and over. And we've all been on mission projects where you learn kids' names by you recognize the shirt they're wearing just as much as you recognize their face, and you know who they are because they wear the same clothes. But she didn't let it stop there and walk away going, well, you know, I'm just really sorry for her, and that's just so bad. But it's like, what can I do about that? Hey, I've got an idea, first day. And, and began this whole ministry began to, and so she's launching that. She's a high school student. Yeah, I think God's got something like that for all of us. Where do you see a need? What's stirring inside of you? What makes you weep? What makes you cry? What do you think about? What makes you say, well, somebody ought to do something about that. You know, because when you begin to see that and you begin to plug in, God's going to say, that's a great idea. And I think maybe you're the one. And so we began to gather others around us and we began to serve and we make a difference. What can I do about that? Don't live your life as just this boring, you know, complete sitting there with a remote in your hand going, I wonder what's going on outside of this wall. I wonder what's happening. Don't just sit on a shelf. You just got one shot. Make an impact. Make a difference. And the way to do it is a servant. Be just always being a servant. So it, here's, here's the appeal. Here's where I, I kind of want to land. And you think, okay, what do we do? What, where, what is it you want us to do at the end of the day? Here's, here's the idea. Let Jesus serve you if you never have. If you've never embraced the cross. You're still trying to live a good life. I can do this. I can kind of crank it out. I can just abandon that plan and let Jesus serve you and accept him. Just embrace the cross. Say, God, I just want to surrender to you. I give up my life and I take yours. And then determine, I'm going to be a servant. And if you're already in Christ, be specific about that. I don't want us to walk back out going, yep, I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to be a servant. What does that mean? And when do you get to it? Go ahead, and in the next couple of minutes, we're going to sing together. And I want you to use that as an opportunity to think about that in very practical, real ways. And the Holy Spirit may not show you yet, but he may speak to you. Over the next couple of you know, moments, he may say, okay, here's how I want you to do that. Here's when I want you to do it. Here's where. Who's, here's who's going to be involved with that. You're going to get some ideas before we ever leave. This is who I think I ought to serve. This is how I think that ought to happen this week. Within the next 48 hours, 72 hours, whatever the context is God gives you, an act of service is going to emerge. Think about that. Put it in your planner. And am I willing to serve in the body of Christ? Specifically, those of you who are members of Calvary and you're active, we always need people. We need people with your giftedness and your, your talents and your, your heart to serve so that, that this body can, can function and really do the things that God's called us to do. Would you embrace that? Would you say, you know what? I come and I enjoy the music and I'm, I'm part of it and my friends are here. I never really do a lot. 
I want to step up. I want to be a part of this fellowship more than just receiving. I want to serve too. Put me to work. We've had some folks recently to say, you know, we use interns during the week and people in the office. We've had folks step up and say, you know what? I can, I can work a computer. I can answer a phone. I can make copies. Can, would that help you guys? Yes, that would help us. Probably whatever you could do, we'll figure out a way to put that into action. Would you stand with me, please? Be a part of the story. Be a part of the story. Where are you in that process? Let's pray. Father, I ask that if there are folks here today, and I'm assuming that there are, who've never really embraced the idea of letting you serve them, that today they would. That they would stop their own efforts and they would repent of that and allow you to serve them. And Father, I pray that we would be determined this week to live a life of service. And would you show us how and when and where and who will be involved. And we'll plan for it. We will be specific and we'll be committed and we'll follow through. Father, I ask that you would help us to be creative as we look to you. And how do you want us to serve the body of Christ? How do you want us to be a part and a member here at Calvary? I trust you to do that and ask you to